0: If we could, uh, this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, and if we read again at verse 15. Ruth Ruth chapter 1 and verse 15. And Naomi said, And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, everyone loves a good romance where boy meets girl, they spend time together, they fall in love with one another, they get married, and they live happily ever after. Everyone loves a good romance. In fact, your minister loves. A good romance. Uh, I was only, rec- I only recently discovered that he likes... He's a real romantic at heart. Uh, Hugh's favourite book is Pride and Prejudice. His favourite film is Sense and Sensibility. And his favourite song is The Song of Solomon. So Hugh is a real romantic at heart. Uh, so much so that if you were at his wedding, you'll know that he dropped what he described as a love bomb on his wife, Uh, So it's clear that Hugh loves a good romance. But you know, when we come to the book of Ruth, we see that at its heart is a good romance. It's a romantic love story between Ruth, the, the peasant from Moab, and Boaz, who was the provider in Bethlehem. But of course, this love story that we're reading here in this book, it's part of the greater love story of the Bible, where God is love. And God has loved, in fact God so loved, he so loved this selfish and sin-sick world that he provided, as we know, a way of salvation. And he provided that way of salvation through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever, we're told, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And as we know this evening, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest love story. It's the greatest love story ever told. But as we narrow our focus this evening into the book of Ruth, we see that the book of Ruth is a love story. It's a love story in which we see displayed and demonstrated to us this love, covenant love, between Ruth and Boaz. And although the book of Ruth has a happy ending, if you read through to chapter 4, What we read here in chapter 1 is that it has a harrowing beginning. It has a harrowing beginning because what we see here in the opening chapter is a painful providence. It's a painful providence that led to a plentiful provision and a personal proclamation. And they are our headings this evening. A painful providence, a plentiful provision and a personal proclamation. A painful providence. A plentiful provision, a personal proclamation. So first of all, we see a painful providence in verses 1 to 5. We're told there that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi. The names of his sons were Malon and Chilean. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But we're told, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. One was Orpah, the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilean died, so that the woman was left without her husband and her two sons. So, with only four chapters we see in the book of Ruth, we see that it's a short love story. But it begins with a painful providence. It begins with a painful providence. And you know, there was one commentator who helpfully summarized the book of Ruth by describing chapter 1 as the weeping chapter. Chapter 2 as the working chapter. Chapter 3 as the wedding chapter. And chapter chapter 3 as the waiting chapter. And chapter 4 as the wedding chapter. And so in chapter 1, we have the weeping chapter. And it's a weeping chapter, chapter because a painful providence has taken place In the lives of this family. But sadly this painful providence came about because of desertion and disobedience. We're told in the opening verse that the content of this love story finds its context in the days when the judges ruled. And if you know anything about the days when the judges ruled, you'll know that it was a period in history that's not too dissimilar from our own. Because we're told that there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, that's the summary statement at the end of the book of Judges. If you just go to the previous page in your Bible, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But you know, the irony of that statement in the last verse of the book of Judges The irony of that summary statement is that the first character we meet in this love story is a man called Elimelech. Elimelech means, my God is king. My God is king. But as we read there in chapter 21 of Judges, there was no king in Israel. And the reason there was no king in Israel was because Israel had rejected God as their king. And because they rejected God, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. As a people, the Israelites had deserted and disowned and even disobeyed the Lord, which led to this famine in the land. But there's more. Because Elimelech's name, my God is king. Elimelech's name, it preached and proclaimed a sermon. His name told everybody something about him. My God is king. That's the sermon he preached and proclaimed through his name. And yet the thing is, as we read in the passage, Elimelech didn't live up to his name. Because he didn't live his life as if God was his king. Yes, God may have been upon the throne of his heart on paper. But God wasn't on the throne of his heart in practice. There was no king in Elimelech's life. Because Elimelech didn't live as if he had submitted and surrendered to the kingship of his saviour. No, Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. Because when this famine came to Israel, Elimelech, were told, he took his family and he fled into the idolatrous land of Moab. Elimelech deserted the promised land. He disobeyed the Lord. He disowned the people of God. And you know, my Christian friend, even though we're not told much about the life of this man, Elimelech, there are all there are lessons here that we can all learn. Because like Elimelech, whose name preached and proclaimed the sermon, My God is King, you know, as Christians, as Christians, we bear the name of Christ. We bear the name of Christ. So we are Christians, we are Christ's ones. That's what the word Christian means. So we're followers of Jesus Christ. We bear the name of Jesus Christ and our lives are to preach and proclaim the sermon that Jesus Christ is my King. He's my Saviour. He's my Shepherd. He's my Lord. And you know the thing is, and I take this to myself before I ever preach it to you. You know, We can't be a Christian on paper and not in practice. You know, we're to practice what we preach and proclaim. We're to practice what we preach and proclaim. So we have the name Jesus. We have the name Christian. We have the name follower of Christ. We're to practice what we preach and proclaim. And God willing, tomorrow, we'll be sitting at the Lord's table We'll be gathering at the Lord's table. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. And through our practice, we will all be preaching a sermon. Because as the Bible tells us, we are proclaiming. We are proclaiming the name of Jesus. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And you know, Elimelech, he speaks to me. He reminds me that we must, we must live up to our name. The, the name that we bear, the name Christian. We must practice what we preach and what we proclaim. We must practice what we preach and proclaim. You know, as we said, this is a love story. It's a love story that begins with a painful providence. Because when Elimelech failed to practice what his name preached and proclaimed, that had an impact and an influence upon his family and also upon his friends. And that's because our sin, it always has an impact and an influence upon our family and our friends. And over a ten year period whilst living in the land of Moab, this family we're reading about here, they encountered and experienced one painful providence after another. Because first we're told that Elimelech, he died. He died and he was buried in the land of Moab. Then Malon, who was the eldest son, he died and he was buried in the land of Moab. And then Chilean, the youngest son, he died and he was buried in the land of Moab over this 10 year period this family encountered and experienced one painful providence after another and it left these three widowed women weeping it was a painful providence so painful and so personal that Naomi were told that she can no longer live up to her name she wants to change her name We're told at the end of the chapter, Naomi's name actually, it means delight. But through her painful providence, Naomi was no longer delighted. We see her, she's devastated. So devastated that this widowed woman says, towards the end of the weeping chapter, she says, call me not Naomi. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And it's not that Naomi was bitter towards the Lord because of her painful providence. Some people are like that when they encounter sickness, suffering, or sorrow in their life. They're bitter towards the Lord. But Naomi's bitterness was because her painful providence was so hard to bear. It really was a painful providence. And you know, you, you come to a chapter like this and you think, well, my friend you might be going through a painful providence too. And then you will notice know, why the Bible is a living word. It speaks into our circumstances and into our situations. And you might be going through a painful providence at present. And you might be reading this chapter and thinking, well, like Naomi, like Naomi, I'm going through a painful providence too. Maybe it's a painful providence because of personal sin. Or maybe it's a painful providence because of sickness or suffering or sorrow. But as you know, the word providence, I think it's one of the greatest doctrines in Scripture. Providence, it means seen beforehand. Seen beforehand. Which means that our lives are not a random result of luck, or chance, or fate, or fortune, or fluke, or karma. No, God in his providence, he has seen everything take place in our lives. Beforehand, before the foundation of the world. Therefore, everything that takes place in our lives from one moment to the next, one day to the next, it's all ordered. It's all ordained. It's all appointed. It's all assigned. It's all governed and guided by the Lord according, according to his perfect path, plan, and providence. And you know, sometimes we look at providence and sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to understand that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But you know, every time I come to providence, and we should read providence, we should read scripture, but we should also read the book of providence in our lives. And you know, I always come back to that divine weaver poem where it reminds us and reassures us that my life, your life, my life, is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours, but He weaveth steadily. Sometimes He weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget that He sees the upper and I the underside. And not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why all these dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skilful hand. As the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. My friend, whatever painful providence you may be going through this evening, the Lord promises you, He promises you that He is working all things together by His grace for your good and to His glory. He's working it all together by His grace for your good. And to his glory. And so we see a painful providence, but it led to a plentiful provision. A plentiful provision. Look at verse 6. Then she arose, this is Naomi, she rose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters in law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And you know, even as we consider the narrative of this love story in the Bible, you, you know, we're brought to see that the Lord not only wrote this narrative, he not only wrote this narrative in the book of Ruth, the Lord has also written the narrative of our lives too. He wrote the li- the narrative in the lives of Naomi, Ruth and Orpah, but he has also written the nar- narrative of our lives too because he's the author of the story. He's the director of in this drama. And like these women in this weeping chapter, we might not understand the storyline in our lives. We might not foresee all the twists and all the turns in the narrative. But the wonderful thing is, as it is with this love story, it's the Lord who turns the pages in providence. And you know, I want to say this very carefully and very cautiously and compassionately. You know, you you come to a chapter like this, And you see that sometimes the Lord allows painful providences to come into our personal circumstances. Not to drive us away from him, but always to drive us to him. I'll say that again. The Lord sometimes allows painful providences to come into our personal lives. Not to drive us away from him, but always to drive us to him. And that's what we see happening in the lives of these three widowed women who are weeping. Because they're painful providence, it's a providence of sorrow and separation. But it doesn't drive them away from the Lord. It drives them to the Lord. It drives them back to the land they came from, in Naomi's case. And of course, that's not the way Naomi saw it at the time. She didn't see this as a great experience in her life. That's not the way any of us see it at the time. But Naomi, she came home. She comes home, we're told, to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And she confesses that her providence was so painful and so personal that she could no longer live up to her name. She didn't want to be called Naomi anymore. She didn't want to be known as the delighted one. She wanted to be known as the devastated one. Call me not Naomi. No, no, I'm somebody different now. Call me man. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Call me bitter. Because my experience is bitter. And you know, if you remember Mara, that Naomi calls herself here. Mara was the name. Mara was the name of the place where the Israelites first came to when they crossed the Red Sea. The Israelites, they had been rescued and redeemed from slavery and bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh. But when they crossed the Red Sea, when the Red Sea had parted and they crossed over to the other side... The first place they arrived at after crossing the Red Sea was Mara. Mara, which means bitter, and the Israelites they named it Mara because the water was bitter and they couldn't drink the water. But when the Lord changed the water from Mara to Mataf, from bitter to sweet, we see in that chapter that the Lord reminded and reassured His people of who He is. The Lord said to His people. I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. And that's what these widowed and and weeping women were going to discover too. They were going to discover who the Lord really is in their life. That he is Jehovah Rapha. He's the one who provides help and healing. He's the one who, who provides strength and sufficient grace for all who call upon his name. And here is Naomi. Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. The Lord has dealt with me bitterly. I went out full. I have come back empty. I've got nothing left. And yet, what you read in this chapter is that it was through their painful providence that these weeping and widowed women were going to receive a plentiful provision. Because, in their opinion, they went away full and came back home empty. But through their painful providence, the Lord was bringing them home empty in order to fill them. Through their painful providence, the Lord was bringing them home empty in order to fill them. And you know, my friend, maybe you look at your own life and your own providence and the circumstances and the situations that you have found yourself in in life. And maybe you look at it here and you think, well... That's the way the Lord works in our lives, isn't it? Where through the painful providences that we encounter and we experience in our lives, the Lord empties us. And how he empties us. In order to fill us. Sometimes he strips us completely. Strips us of self. In order to strengthen and sustain us. Sometimes the Lord removes all the stays and all the supports around us in order that we will come to him and rest and rely upon him and him alone. Because he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord our healer. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. But you know what I love about this weeping chapter? It's that names have so much meaning. You know, we often ask, well, what's in a name? But the Bible, in the Bible, names have so much meaning. Meaning. We've seen that already with Elimelech's name. His name preached and proclaimed the sermon, My God is King. But his life didn't preach and proclaim that sermon. We see it with Naomi. Her name meant delight, but she was a woman who was devastated by sorrow. So much sorrow that she wanted to be known as bitter. She didn't want to be known as someone who was sweet. And yet the Lord was going to change her Mara to Mataf, her bitter to sweet. She was going to receive the Lord's sufficient grace. But you know, this is why names are so important. Because a key name which is mentioned throughout this chapter. And throughout the love story as a whole. Is the town. The town Bethlehem. We all know Bethlehem. It's where Jesus was born. But the name Bethlehem means house of bread. What a great name for a place. House of bread. And you know it's important to note because according to Naomi's confession, she left Bethlehem full with family when the house of bread was empty with famine. But now through her painful providence, these widowed and weeping women, they came to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem empty of family when the house of bread was full with food. And you know, it was that painful providence which brought them to the house of bread. That painful providence which brought them to this place of a plentiful provision. And you know, is that not what the church is to the people of God? It's our Bethlehem, it's our house of bread. Because when we're empty, to whom else can we go? He alone has the words of eternal life. When we're empty, we can come to God's house and worship with God's people and meet around God's table and we can feast upon the fullness of God's word. You know, when we're low, we can be lifted up in the wholesome, the wholesome food from the house of bread. And when we experience a painful providence, you know, we can enjoy We can enjoy that plentiful provision of God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I love coming to church. I love coming and being with God's people. There's nothing like it. And that's the way it should be. We're to be with one another, to have fellowship with one another, to share with one another. And as you know, that's the glory of the gospel. Jesus is our breadwinner. Jesus is our breadwinner. He's the bread of life. He gives to us that plentiful provision. He's the one who provides for us our Bethlehem, our house of bread. Jesus said to us, I am the bread of life. Whosoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whosoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's a plentiful provision. A plentiful provision. That's why the psalmist exhorts us and encourages us. We were singing it in Psalm 34. He said, O taste, O taste and see that God is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. I also love Psalm 119, which says, How sweet unto my taste, O Lord, are all thy words of truth. Yea, I do find them sweeter far than honey to my mouth. You know, and Jesus is our breadwinner. And God willing, tomorrow, tomorrow as we gather around his table, we will taste him. We'll see him. We'll see him in his supper, in the bread and in the wine. We'll taste and see that God is good. He's the living bread that came down from heaven. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. He humbled himself from the crown to the cradle all the way to the cross in order to be a plentiful provision for his people to come and taste and see that he is good. But you know before we come Ruth reminds us that we need that personal proclamation. That's what we see lastly. A personal proclamation. So there's a painful providence. There's a plentiful provision but there's also a personal proclamation. A personal Proclamation. Look at verse 15. We're told that Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. You know, when considering these verses, one commentator said that Naomi was trying to cover up. Orpah had given up, but Ruth was ready to stand up. Naomi was trying to cover up. Orpah had given up, but Ruth was ready to stand up. And that's what we see here, that despite the painful providence in her life, despite having loved and lost in Moab, the Lord wasn't driving Ruth away from him. The Lord was driving Ruth to him. And the Lord was going to give to Ruth a plentiful provision, not only of food and of family and financial security, you read it as you go through the chapter, but she, through the, the book, but she was also given fellowship. Fellowship through the provision of this kinsman redeemer, Boaz. But you know, everything changes for Ruth. Everything changes in this love story for Ruth when she stands up and when she steps forward and confesses her faith in the Lord. Everything changes for Ruth when she stands up and steps forward and confesses her faith in the Lord. And in many ways, you know, that's what a communion season is all about. It's all about standing up. It's all about stepping forward. It's all about confessing your faith in the Lord. And sometimes there's a lot of emotion when that happens. We see that in this chapter, the weeping chapter, because even as we read it in verse 14, we see that they're lifting up their voices and they're weeping. And Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, but Ruth clings to her. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye, tears in her eyes, weeping. Lots of emotion, but Ruth Ruth clung to her because Ruth was committed to the Lord. Ruth clung to her because Ruth was committed to the Lord. And you look at Naomi. and Naomi's wrong in what she does. Naomi wrongly exhorts and encourages these weeping widows to, to go home. She says, go home to the idolatrous land of Moab. Go back. She said to them, there's nothing for you here. You don't belong here. You're not one of the Lord's covenant people. You don't know the culture. Ruth, just go home with Orpah. Just go home with Orpah. You don't belong here. You know, You I read that and I thought, well, isn't that what the devil often says to you? At a communion season, he says it to me. He says it to me. There's nothing for you here, Mark. You don't belong here. Oh, but you're the minister. No, no, you don't belong here. You're not one of the Lord's people. Just go home. You, you, you're not ready for commitment. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. You haven't been following the Lord long enough. We've heard all these things, haven't we? It's not, it's not for you. Go home. Go home. You know, if I, I, I think if I were to ask you to put up your hand... If the devil has ever whispered one of these lies into your ear. I'm sure you'd all put up your hands. But that's all they are though. They're just lies. Just lies. My friend Ruth knew that she didn't deserve the Lord's goodness. She didn't deserve the Lord's grace. But she also knew that she couldn't go back. She couldn't go home. Oh no, she couldn't go home with Orba. Something had changed in her life. The Lord had begun to work in her heart. She had had a new beginning. She was a new creation. The old had passed away. Something had become new in her experience. And Ruth knew that it was time to stand up and stand, step forward. My friend Ruth clung to Naomi because Ruth was committed to the Lord. And through her commitment there came this beautiful confession Do not urge me to leave you, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go; where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people; your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And you know, you read that and you think, well, that's that personal proclamation from Ruth is one of the most beautiful professions of faith in the Bible, because it expresses and explains this heartfelt desire. To commit your life to the Lord. And to confess your faith in the Lord. My friend Ruth knew that she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve the Lord's goodness. She knew that she didn't deserve the Lord's grace. But at the same time she knew she couldn't go back. She knew she could not leave where she was. And walk away. She knew that she couldn't go home. She knew it was time to stand up and step forward. She clung to Naomi because she was committed to the Lord. And through her commitment, there came this confession. And you know, we read this passage and we think, well, what about me? What about you? What about you? I don't know where you stand with the Lord. I don't know if you've committed your life to him. I don't know if you've professed your faith. But is it not time for all of us, as we come to yet another communion season, to stand up and to step forward? Is it not time for all of us to remind ourselves of who we are, whose name we bear, and make that commitment and confession of faith in Jesus Christ? You know, the book of Ruth, it's a romantic love story. Read it for yourself. It's a love story between Ruth the peasant from Moab and Boaz the provider from Bethlehem. But of course, as we said, it's only part of the greater love story of the Bible, where Jesus says to us, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. And this evening we all know the command that Jesus issues us at a communion season. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. My friend, let us come. Let us commit. Let us confess. Just like Ruth. And say with Ruth, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. My friend, let's make that our confession, as we come and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.